hi, we're doing a really weird episode. Uh, we'll start it here in just a second. But first, I wanted to talk about how the episode's going to go with uh, Cameron and our wonderful guest, Tanya Sands Alden, for the first time. He's over there. <laughs> I, see him. I did not see him. But, but you're blind. Is he gaming? Yep. Ooh, I think he's he playing, playing Metroid. Oh, Metroid Dread? Mm-hmm. I want to beat it so bad. I've got like five games and I haven't touched them. Someday. Because you keep playing a phone game. Yeah, I've been like playing a, a mobile game, game, like a filthy casual. I know, right? Um, Don't gatekeep, Cameron. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm usually the one playing phone games like a filthy casual. So I get to say it. It's true. It's true. You are the phone gamer casual. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know where this term came from. Um, I don't usually use that one. No, we don't. Um, hey, play whatever games make you happy. Um, beware of nefarious practices that addict you to spending money on games. Anyway. That's all for that. Yeah. This episode, though. <laughs> this episode. So um, we have Tanya on, and um, we've joked a few times about doing a podcast about deconstruction because we both seem to be on a, uh, a path or a journey, you could say, mm-hmm. of deconstruction um and we'll talk about what we mean when we say that um later on in the podcast um but for this i wanted to kind of lay out how i thought this would look and then get your guys's input because i am often wrong um so in my mind there are two sides of the kind of deconstruction exvangelical kind of um world one is kind of a serious one with like involving church hurt and the uh dissection of lies you've been told and things of that nature and one is kind of a fun one where you look back at all this culture that you thought was totally normal and realize that it's insane like there's this culture of insanity Mm-hmm. Where we think songs about emotional girls wearing mood rings is okay. And it, it's craziness. So there are these two sides. And I kind of want to touch on both because I think there's fun stuff to say about both. Um, so I thought we would start by uh, Tanya and then me or vice versa. And Cameron, you are welcome to add as well. Okay. Um, talking about our spiritual journeys, um, where we came from, where we are now. Kind of quickly and succinctly, but... Also, with as much time as we need. Um, I know, Cameron, your path of deconstruction uh, isn't as, well, in your words, you have less to say about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do know that especially from like the greater cultural context of faith, you've kind of disassociated. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm out of a lot of what I used to be really in. Yeah. Uh, So if you want to, if you want to chime in with that, you are free to. I know you have found a way to exist in the local a lot better than I have. So um, you're, you're much more comfortable than me, but I know you, you also are not in the same place you were when you started your journey. Mm-hmm. So I thought we'd go through those stories and then just kind of have a conversation and talk about faith and theology and all that kind of stuff for a few, for a little <laughs> bit, and then kind of transfer into like, what are some fun Christian pop culture things that we remember and why are they insane now? I mean, they were always insane. But how do we know they're insane now? <laughs> yes. What do you guys think? I think that's great. I'm here for it. Um, as you can tell, this is very Boy Meets World based. Because uh-huh. <laughs> what do you believe in, Chance? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you centered? I got to know. That means God. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. If we but don't we, believe in God, we're in a cult. So What we should have done is we could have done like a which apostle is the cast of boy meets world like is Corey more of a paul is he is sean a is sean a luke 
<laughs> That's funny because when Cameron first asked me what we were doing this week, because we weren't starting season five until next week, I was like, what D&D character are the... I like said like mm-hmm. what literary magic system would the cast use? What D and D character would the cast? Use? I was like, let's do them all, and here we are. Yes, doing something much better, in my opinion. Panga is well, Mary Magdalene's the only. No, they're well, you can just say Mary because there's a lot of them in the <laughs> Bible. We don't have to say which one. <laughs> to you by Zondervan, unless someone real decides to sponsor us. This is kind of Boy Meets World of Fever, and I'm one of your hosts, Chance. And I'm your other host, Cameron. <laughs> hey, Cameron. Hey. We're just really going out on a limb this week, and I kind of like it. It's true. I, our our show has always been more tangent than Boy Meets World, uh-huh. so now we're just kind of owning it. Yeah, we'll get back to Boy Meets World. This is a week of tangent. It's been like a month of tangent. Well, yeah. We did just reboot season two as a mind-bending time drama. Uh-huh. Or season, season four. four. So. We could have gone out to eat for this episode too, though. Oh, we, oh, we could, could have. Rats. We have to go to Virginia and visit them and uh-huh. record an episode at it. Yes. Is there, is there a popular yes. Virginia establishment where you can eat a lot of food? Um, Do they have good food in Virginia? I don't know. <laughs> there are places that have good food in Virginia. Okay, and if you know. decide to visit, we will take you to our favorite places. Okay. Good. We can do several different recordings at different different eateries. <laughs> Boy Meets World Fever on location with Boy Meets Girl Meets Boy Meets World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'd it be will... a wild time. <laughs> I I agree. I'll do some teasers. BMG and BMW X. Boy Meets World Fever. Yeah, yeah it would of, be. It lots would... of that stuff. It'd be wild. And I've never been to Virginia. It's one of the states I haven't hit yet. Well, you definitely need to visit because it's probably like the best state ever. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All four seasons, we have beaches and mountains and lakes and rivers. Like, we have everything all in one state. I'm going to ask a really stupid question. Is Virginia Beach in Virginia? Yes. Okay. I think that's a fair question. You never know. (laughs) It's like, which bridge is it? The Brooklyn Bridge? There's one of them that's in, like, Arizona. (laughs) I don't think it's the Brooklyn Bridge. But at London Bridge... There's some famous na- name sounding bridge that's not actually the one you would think. And it's in, in like Arizona or something. Why do they even need bridges? Yeah. Grand Canyon, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's that. They have that. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Me neither. But Tanya's already here. Uh-huh. But she's already said. Are you going to sing name, her? But in? I'm going to sing her. And I'm going to try. I'm still recovering. Yeah. You um, got that lingering, uh, yeah. sultry voice. So I should, you know, take it down here. Do it. Here we go. Cause it's Tanya Bear, Tanya Bear, coming on our show, Boy Meets World Fever. It's what she's doing. Good to know I got friends who'll always podcast with me. Cause it's Tanya Bear. Yay! I could have done it in normal. That was amazing. (laughs) That was a special one only for Tanya. No one else will ever get it. Nobody. Because my voice will be back to its normal high register before we know it. Hey, it Tanya. was magnificent. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I was telling you a little bit before we started recording. It's been a week. 
Mm-hmm. Spent a lot of it in the hospital. Spent a lot of it trying to get a five-year-old's birthday party ready. Um, my girlfriend was sick last weekend, um, and her five-year-old, well, five today. Happy birthday, Asher! He's just turned five today. Uh, he was sick just days before that. Um, so it was like taking care of the house while she took care of him, taking care of her because he is five and can't take care of her. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. really needs to step up. And then so like. Tuesday was my day of normality. I even had a party to go to to celebrate Cameron's graduation. Congratulations, Cameron. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, Cameron. Thanks. I uh, did it. I had uh, that party to go to. And while I was at that party, no joke, I was there for 15 minutes. I get this text from my parents. I'm needed in the hospital. So then I spent like three days in the hospital helping a person with a medical reason for having a mental breakdown and a person who just has a history of mental breakdowns. Sounds like a great way to start off the year. It's yeah, it has been ever since Christmas. It has just been hit after hit. (laughs) Um, But it's been, I mean, I'm alive. Yeah. And birthday parties are great. And graduation parties are great. Sure. I only got to do 15 minutes of the graduation party, but yeah, Uh, Cameron enjoyed it. Um, My girlfriend who they've known for nine months or so, um, but didn't know well, got to spend some quality time with some of my best friends. So that was fun. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. The birthday party went out great. We've been doing this thing where on July 10th, we gave him a Charmander plush and then about four months later, no, three months later, um, Charmander was taking a bath in the washer and dryer. And before, and when he wasn't looking, we switched Charmander out with Charmeleon in the dryer. And so he went in there to get his Charmeleon and it had just evolved in the dryer. And he was so excited. And today um, we uh, sent Charmeleon down a slide while someone was wrestling uh, the five-year-old at the top of the slide. And then when he took the slide down, Charmeleon had been replaced with Charizard. So that is magical. wonderful. <laughs> he, uh, he is, he is fully convinced. Like we were talking to him, like kind of probing, like, do you know this is BS and that we've just been switching them? He is convinced his stuffed animal has been evolving. He's going to remember that for the rest of his life. And even if he is like, oh, they just switched out my stuffed animals or he finds like a pile of different like evolutions in the closet somewhere, he'll still be happy about it. Uh, Yeah, they are hidden right now. We he's loved them like great. He's taken them everywhere. They're dirty and worn. And we're just like, well, like we've got to give him back these eventually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On his 18th birthday. (laughs) Yeah. You know how you're a Charmander <laughs> evolved into Charizard on your birthday? Well, <laughs> he we did. lied. He did. Um, and he he got a uh, Scyther for Christmas. And now we're we're debating on how much time before we replace Scyther with Scissor and evolve that one. So my girlfriend is a little more hesitant. He's like, if we keep doing this, it's, he's going to catch on. But I'm like... I feel like this is a fun thing to do. Like get him, get him Pokemon plushies, like one every six months or something. Let him evolve it. But he can't Uh get into anything else that contains evolution. Or you will also have to do that with those things. (laughs) That's true. You can't give him a single celled organism. (laughs) You're going to have to replace that with a, whatever comes next. Double cell. I don't know because we weren't allowed to learn that in school. (laughs) <laughs> so there's you, our bridge yes uh yeah exactly that's good that's what i'm here for um yeah <laughs> we are uh here as the episode title has 
surely told you, which I haven't figured out what it is yet, but it'll include it somewhere, to talk about deconstructing from evangelical Christianity. Um, And um, I think that's a loaded uh, term for sure. Uh, It can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, And I actually don't know Tanya's story, and I don't think she knows mine fully. Um, We seem to have a lot of similarities, so uh, I'm sure there is some overlap. But um, so we're going to I think we're going to start out by just jumping in and kind of just going over stories like where, how we grew up and where we are now. You can get as deep or as non-deep as you'd like. And um, then we'll kind of talk about like deconstruction. What do you mean by that? That sounds good? That sounds great. All right. Let's jump in. Tanya, do you want to start? I can if you want me to. Sure. So I guess I will just talk about how I grew up because I grew up full blown in the church all the time. Um, I was homeschooled, uh, from kindergarten through 10th grade. I did 11th and 12th grade in a private Christian school. Um, my mom was involved in every aspect of my church. She was one of the first women, um, to be made a deaconess at our church. She, did the dance troupe because she was a dancer. So she did, she led all the dance troupe. Um, she was the head of the children's ministry and she also worked with the youth group. So she went on all the youth trips and was heavily involved in that. So we were at church pretty much every single day or night to some extent, mm-hmm. um, which was good to a point because I was socialized. I had a lot of really good friends. Um, they were not homeschooled. It wasn't like a, a church where that was the center of it, um, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. Um, but it also meant that there was a lot more, I guess, pushback against secularism from my mom. So there was no non-Christian music, really not many non-Christian TV shows or movies. And when there was, it was only things that she was willing to watch. So like literally could not, like we couldn't watch certain things and we'd be like, why can't we watch that? She just didn't want to. So she'd be like, no, you can't watch that because it's not Christian. Um, Mostly Christian books, although we went to public libraries, so I could pretty much pick out different things. And if my stack of books was tall enough, she couldn't really see what I was getting. And I (laughs) definitely pushed the limit on how many books I checked out every time we went. But And I loved it. And I didn't know anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I I definitely, growing up, I wanted to go to regular school. I wanted to be able to listen to what I wanted to listen to. I didn't like feeling like I was on the outside when my friends, who were allowed to do what they wanted, like were talking about TV shows or or movies or music, and I didn't know what it was. Um, But I I thought mostly things were fine. Um, I have three sisters. I'm the second oldest, and... So my older sister, I like watched her kind of evolve before me and she was given a lot more freedoms and stuff like that. But as years went by, like restrictions were put on me that were not put on her. Um, And my mom would basically claim biblical principles for it. Uh, I wasn't allowed to date. I had to wear very specific types of clothing. Um, We definitely got spanked. I got spanked way too late in life. Um, Okay. 
and and these are all things that come a lot with being homeschooled and being in a Christian home like that. And like I said, it seemed normal. It seemed fine um, until I got older um, and around 15 or 16, I definitely started questioning things. I was the person who like, I loved God so much that I questioned things that the church was doing, or I questioned things that my mom would say. Um, and we went on missions trips and, and all kinds of things. And one year on a missions trip, we were staying at like a highly rated hotel in the middle of a third world country. Like, so we're staying at like the rich people's area. We're eating breakfast buffets of like gourmet food, have, you know, wonderful showers and wonderful beds and all of this stuff. But we're going out and we're feeding like children chicken and stars for lunch. And it might be their only meal that day. And we're, I remember talking to my youth pastor and going, why are, why are we staying at this hotel? Like, why did we put so much money that we raised into staying at this hotel? We could be giving them breakfast too. Like, why are we doing this? Um, and I got in trouble for it. I got in trouble. I got, um, kind of ostracized in my youth group for speaking up. Um, and that kind of started everything for me. Um, and as a few years would go by, I would question things in like Bible class at school. Um, which they made it very easy to do because the person who taught Bible class was like 90 years old and really just wanted to talk about the end of the world all the time um, <laughs> and strike, <laughs> strike fear in the, the hearts of everybody. Um, but going to school, um, my best friend in school was a guy who was gay. He hadn't come out but everyone already made fun of him for being gay. And he was my best friend. And I know that due to the the things that I've been taught throughout my life, I probably said some harmful things to him. Um, but he stayed my friend forever. Like, you know, he was so loyal to me and so compassionate. And he gave me so much grace that I, I realized that there were a lot of things about the outside of Christianity or the outside of what we were told was true and good that were the opposite of what we were being told. Mm -hmm. Like he was being kind to me and he was being good, even though I hurt him. And, um, and he's still like, he's one of my really good friends. And that was another like turning point for me was saying, Oh wait, no, like he's going to stay my friend. My mom would say he can't come over. I'm like, uh, no, he's like, he's my friend mm -hmm. and he's going to come over. So we would argue about that. And I don't know if any of this is making sense at all, but mm -hmm. um, so I did question a lot, um, but I still held on to faith and I still held on to the fact that like God was so good and he did so many good things and, and it was the people that were bad and or misled or they weren't understanding what the Bible said. And then I got to adulthood and I got married too young, um, not to Alden. <laughs> and um, it was really, really bad. It was a really bad situation. And I stayed and I stayed for 13 years. And throughout those 13 years, I went to church every week, sometimes two times a week or three times a week. And I stayed in my marriage because I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really bad. And I was continuously told, like, God will get you through it. And God can change even the hardest hearts. And, like, it's going to be fine. And meanwhile, 
this guy is destroying my life. Mm -hmm. And um, after 13 years, I finally left. I still held on to my faith and I held on to it so strong. And I guess I tried to use it as a crutch. Like, okay, like I'm going to push through. I'm going to get through like this. This is really, really hard. And then I read, um, I saw the documentary. It was like from way years and years before um, called Lord Save Us from Your Followers by uh, Dan Merchant. He wrote a book and then they released a documentary. I think it was like on HBO or Showtime or something. Um, and I related to it a lot about how how many times Christians have hurt people. And in that, they talked about how harmful it was to domestic abuse survivors because of how many times people are told to stay and how as Christians, we're supposed to be compassionate and we're supposed to be helpful. Um, and I was like, oh, goodness gracious, <laughs> like, I wish I had seen this before. Um, and I read the book, but again, it was still from like a Christian perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started reading a lot of Rachel Held Evans, mm -hmm. like so much Rachel Held Evans. And she was so wonderful. Um, and I related to so many things that she said, where we put God in this box that he never asked to be put in. And we put all these stigmas on all of these things and call them ungodly. But God created all of these people and all of these things and all of these creative outlets and all of this stuff. And we kind of just like label it as sinful and bad because it makes us uncomfortable. So mm -hmm. I started reading a lot of things that were by Christians and I was working retail at the time. So I was with a lot of different people and, um, and I got a job working in a store called Tilly's and all of my employees, I was the store manager. All my employees were super young. I think the, the oldest person was like 23. <laughs> other than myself. Um, at this point, Alden and I are together. Like we have blended our families. Life is really good, but I was starting to go into a turmoil of like, what on earth do I believe at this point? Because everything is still incredibly harmful that it comes out of the religion that I was raised in. Um, and a lot of those kids started talking to me about like their home lives. And, and there were some of the kids were going to Liberty University when they got out of high school. And cause that's in Virginia. So, um, and you know, the other kids were talking about how bad it was and it had never dawned on me how many of these institutions were bad. So in doing digging on all of that stuff, I realized how harmful that was. Mm -hmm. And there is also the freedom to enjoy so many things from outside of Christian culture and realizing that like the fruit from Christian culture was super rotten. And the the things that were coming out of non-Christian culture, depending on what you're consuming, were good and helpful instead of harmful. I started consuming a lot of McElroy content. And, mm -hmm. and while, you know, it, it's not Christian adjacent, they were doing things to help their communities. And they were um, talking people through sometimes really depressing episodes. And mm -hmm there was nothing bad coming from that. And I guess it was just sort of as time went on realizing that like I could choose to be good on my own and leave things to harm people behind. And that, I guess that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that was very long winded. No, it was great. Uh, I thought it was very engaging. I feel like I'm on good Christian fun right now. <laughs> Oh, GCF. Um, so would you consider yourself a believer in God now? I'm just curious. I think I have uh, stopped trying to figure that out. Fantastic. I've just sort of, I think, I think when I started spiraling down the like 
deconstruction rabbit hole, it was very tumultuous for me. Like Alden Mm -hmm. talks about it sometimes um, about like what a frenzy it was. And, and uh, cause it really did, it it ripped out the core of who I was as a person. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought I had to figure it out like, all the way down to the end like I had to figure out what I believe do I believe in something and like I don't have to figure that out so I'm not going to unless it just happens love it I think that's great and what what um you mentioned your mom was like a deaconess and did dance stuff so I figured it wasn't southern baptist but uh, <laughs> no, what denom- it, there's a particular denomination I was just so curious. The church that I grew up in started out as Assemblies of God. Um, great reputation over there. <laughs> um, and then they split when I was probably like 12 and they became non-denominational, which again, wonderful reputation over there. Yep. Mm-hmm. It meant no accountability to a board or anything. Yeah, yeah. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah, I mean, I was raised Southern Baptist, and so we see how that goes. That <laughs> accountability really yeah. doesn't amount to much either. Oh, gosh. As we've yeah, seen. But, but Southern Baptist, at least now, and I mean, I, I grew up knowing what Southern Baptist churches were like and stuff, but especially now, there's a lot of accountability for the Southern Baptist denomination because everyone's always calling them out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, after- screwed up enough times. Yeah. Yeah, after everything that's happened, especially in the past, well, that's come out in the past five years. Mm-hmm. They need to be. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. I hope it was cathartic and not hard. <laughs> I hope it made sense. It did. It did. It did. I'll go ahead and go. Okay. Because we don't want this to go on forever. And we all know I'm a talker. <laughs> yes, that's your defining feature. Yeah. Um, I'm still very much in my deconstruction process. Um, and I, I don't actually have any intention of leaving it like maybe ever. So just as a a quick preamble, what I mean when I say deconstruction is taking the frameworks that have been given to me and kind of breaking them apart and seeing what they're made of Um, and keeping the stuff that's good and throwing away the stuff that is bad. Um, I would still consider myself a believer in God and even a believer in Jesus to a certain extent. Well, no, to to a pretty full extent. Um, But what I would say right now is that what I believe is fairly unrecognizable um, to what Christian culture would consider someone who would say those words. Um, So I'm I'm, I'm in a little different place than you, Um, but that's good because we're all deconstructing and and learning. Um, I I am much older than you. (laughs) Much, much. Yes. Yes. Um, I, uh, I started going to church very, um, and my dad was like the singles leader at this church in McAllen, Texas. It was a Southern Baptist church. And my mom was the church secretary. So I was there all the time. Um, well, that only lasted until I was about nine. And then I um, moved to Northern Montana where there are no Southern Baptists. And my father... No Southern there. Yes, there's no Southern in Northern Montana. And yes, that does mean when I was nine, I moved from 20 or five minutes away from the Mexican border to 20 minutes away from the uh, Canadian border. Wowza. <laughs> and one, one fell swoop. So... Um, 
And when I was there, uh, my dad wouldn't go to a church that wasn't Southern Baptist. So we kind of dabbled in churches and then just kind of settled on not going. Um, and that was fine with me. I didn't really care about church. Church wasn't something I was interested in um, at all. Um, I had fairly normal setup most of this time that I'm talking about. I had uh, a dad who was absent and probably way too harsh and way too critical. Um, but I mean not like actively harmful. And I had a mom who was a bit too clingy, had a lot, few too many demons in her past that she didn't want to face. So she threw herself into hobbies or threw herself into obsessing about people, me a lot of the time um, to kind of escape her past. Um, So maybe like a little doting, a little selfish, a little, um, and I use this word clinically, but a little bipolar, but still a fairly normal life. Um, until I was 14, my life fell apart. Um, my life had been falling apart since I was about 11 or 12, but when I hit 14, my life really fell apart. Um, uh, drinking addictions from my parents, um, the beginning of certain types of, uh, verbal and emotional abuses. Um, my dad, who has always been very image based and always really seen like he's achieving the American dream. He's going for it. Um, when his American dream crashed down, he retreated into his own head and became entirely absent instead of mostly absent. So um, all of a sudden at 14, it's just me. Like I have a mom who's trying to get help, um, but keeps screwing up. And I have a dad who is trying to get help, but when he's not, he's not there. So it's just me to try to figure it out on my own. Um, And this is when I start going to church a little bit. It was actually an assemblies of God church uh, in our town. And I went there because there was a girl I liked. And then I stopped going for a little while. And then a new girl I liked started going. So I went there because there was a girl I liked. And that happened like three or four times. So I was kind of in and out. And I just wanted to be close to pretty girls. That was you were you were reverse missionary dating. I was. They were missionary dating you. <laughs> Except I don't know if they showed uh, the same interest as you did. Uh, a little some flirty fishing. <laughs> flirty fishing. Um, but I, I mean, I had no authority in my life whatsoever. I could do what I wanted when I wanted to do it. So I didn't go to school. Um, me and my friends would, uh, my friends would all spend the night at my house, like be like, Hey, we're spending the night at Chance's house. And there was no rules. So we would just go out on the town at four or five in the morning, light each other on fire, light each other on fire at the local gas station, because that's safe. (laughs) Um, yeah. Teenage boys should not have no supervision. Um, and I mean, and that was just my life. Um, I dropped out of school when I was 16, um, because I didn't want to go anyway. Uh, spent about a year as a high school dropout. And I was like, well, that's lame. (laughs) I do not want to be a high school dropout anymore. Um, so I was researching like how I could graduate on time because I wanted to graduate when I was supposed to. And I found, um, the reason I moved to Oklahoma, in fact, was that they have these like alternative schools that nowhere else I researched really seemed to have mm-hmm. where you could work at your own pace. And like, it's for kids who get in trouble or kids who dropped out or kids who get pregnant. They can work at their own pace and finish school. Yeah, my mom taught in that class. Yeah, it was, it, it's, it's a great program. I, yeah. Alternative education is a great thing. I, we can talk more about it some other time. Um, That's not on the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. But I did my junior and senior year in six months. Um, 
And then I was directionless. I was like, well, okay, I did it. Six months, I'm done. Like, I did it. What's, okay, I have a high school diploma. What do I do now? And I decided like, well, the only options ever really been presented to me is college. So I tour the two major universities in Oklahoma because after that six months, I had in-state tuition. Um, Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma University or the University of Oklahoma in the town I live in now. And- uh, Never call it that. Yes, I know. Um and uh, Oklahoma State University, um, where I used to live. So you know where this is going. But um, one, the, the, the university here, I was like, I felt like they were saying like, you'd be so lucky to g- come here. I felt like the other one was saying, we're so lucky to have you here. I'm like, I'm gonna go with the nice people. See ya. Mm-hmm. So I went to college there um, on one of the very first days, the Baptist Student Union or Baptist Collegiate Ministry, whichever you want to call it, was having a uh, pizza bash. And I was like, dad always said we were Baptist. And I do like pizza. Um, There'll be girls there. It's Well, I, I didn't even think about that at the time. So yeah, I, we... I went to the BCM Pizza Bash um, and met a lot of really good people, um, a lot of really good friends, um, and was introduced to like kind of authentic <laughs> evangelical community for the first time in my life. Um, instead of like the two-faced Christians that populate most churches, I was like, I dig it here. And, and I, I dove in like daily Bible studies in the morning, using my summers to do like missions based things and evangelism training based things. And um, we were, we were on all the leadership teams, <laughs> Cameron and I mm-hmm. um, in college. And we were, we, I was there. Like I considered that place in Stillwater, my home. Like I watched when they tore it down because they tore down the building that the ministry was in. I was like, that's the only place that's felt like home to me. Um, it was a good place. It was a good place. And I did a lot of great things happen to me there. I had a lot of very authentic relationships that I still have today. Um, and I had a lot of healing from before. We were talking before the mics turned on. Like I didn't really have any emotions going into college. Like I did what I wanted and I didn't care really like, who got hurt, why they got hurt. Like my parents had taken my emotions long ago. Um, And, but through time in college, I like with those friends and those relationships and those um, connections, I really started to rebuild. So a lot of good things happened to me. Um, The first, what was eight years ago? What year was that? What year is it now? 2022. 2014. Yeah. Around 2014, the first crack show, because around 2014, that support system all moves away from our college town to go other places and do other things. Um, They, uh, they, me and Cameron moved to Boston. Friends just moved to and fro. And suddenly I'm without a support system. And when I'm 25 years old and I don't have the support system and I have my first ever like kind of mental breakdown. (laughs) Like I have no support. And I realized like I felt support from these guys who were like my best friends and this one guy who was like my mentor, but like the rest of these people, I don't feel supported by at all. Like, I feel like they tolerate me as a 25 year old single man, um, like a poor 25 year old single man. Um, I feel like I'm tolerated by them, but I don't feel like I'm loved by them. Um, I don't feel like I fit in with them. Um, and I just, and things will just keep coming up. Um, 
eventually I will become the college minister of the church that we went to. Um, and I, I'm dedicated to doing things better. Um, but I'm also very different. I play secular board games and get accused of bringing demons into the church. Listen to boys to men while you're in, in church. Yeah. I play boys to men and Michael Jackson, um, at gatherings and events and that's wrong. Um, uh, I don't wear the right clothes and that's wrong. <laughs> Just like, well, okay, apparently faith in Jesus isn't all it takes to be a Christian. Um, so I, um, the, the cracks are definitely showing at this point in like this fiction, especially like being on the inside, you realize it's really held together with like duct tape. And I start a Bible study, a very innocuous Bible study. I had just gone to a conference where they talked about spiritual warfare and I'm like, I don't really know anything about spiritual warfare. I'm just going to see what the Bible says about it. That's all I decided to do. And that was kind of a mistake. (laughs) Like, it's not because I love where I'm at now. It was kind of a mistake because I basically learned that everything I had ever been taught about, like, how spiritual warfare works based on the Bible is a lie. Like, an absolute lie. Um, I mean, it's not like what Frank Peretti says. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not. Um, One of the big things that I came out of that with is, like, the entire narrative of Lucifer is not in this book. The, like, the angel fallen from heaven, like because of his pride, took a third of the angels with him, like goes into the garden, tempts Adam and Eve to sin, and now wants to lead to the downfall of humanity. None of that is in there. Like not even an iota. And that was like, what's happening? Like I've heard this from the pulpit a million times. What am I missing? What I was missing was Milton's Paradise Lost and Dante's Inferno, where all that actually comes from. So Christian fan fiction is what I had been taught from the pulpit. And not even like Milton and Dante weren't they weren't mentioned. <laughs> You weren't even credited. <laughs> um, I was I was just taught it like it was true. And I was like, okay, that's weird. <laughs> like, I, I can deal with this. But it's weird that like, I have to stop believing this thing because it's obviously not part of like core faith. But I can do that. But then it starts happening more. <laughs> I realize, well, the concept of eternal conscious torment isn't actually mentioned ever in the Bible. <laughs> like ever. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, the fact that there are other deities other than God mentioned in the Bible. Okay. Okay. And just, I'm, I'm constantly studying because that's what I've been taught to do. I've been taught to study the Bible every day. That's what my college group taught me to do. And I still do it to this day. Um, but everything I'm, I'm reading is just contradicting the things that I'm, I've been taught. And, you know, I get to maybe about two-ish years ago, two, three years ago, and I'm kind of at this, this, this um, precipice, I suppose, of like, which way should I go? Like, obviously, everything I've been taught, not everything, but a lot of the things I've been taught, while good and helpful, is also kind of a lie. And it's a lie that, like you said, is hurting more people than it's helping. Like, like, why are we engaging in purity culture so hardcore and damaging so many girls long term when none of that's in the book? Like, there's not even a prohibition in the book against premarital sex. That's not even in there. Um, so why do we have this whole culture that's damaging women and making them feel shame? And obviously, the only reason I can I can conceive of is like this patriarchal need to control women and their bodies and blame them for men's problems. Um, and I was just I was at this precipice of like, do I need to leave? And I actually kind of came to another conclusion. I was like, I need to leave some things, but I also am not going to let them dictate where I can and can't go. Um, I started realizing like, 
Maybe it's not all or nothing. Maybe I've always been told it's all or nothing to scare me into staying. When the truth of the matter is, maybe that's a false dichotomy. (laughs) Maybe they don't get to say that. Maybe I can still believe in God and reject the things that the church is, is doing. Like I'm at this point now where I actually don't believe most of the Old Testament happened, or at least not happened the way it's written. Like I've been doing a lot of studying lately, and it seems clear to me that most of the Old Testament was written between the time of Hezekiah and Josiah to unite the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel in a shared cultural identity so that it wouldn't get destroyed by the Assyrians like the northern kingdom did. So they wrote this whole story about like how the two kingdoms used to be one and then split up, and now they need to come together again. And they wrote this whole story, um, and there's probably some truth to it. There's some there's some elements of figures that survive in cultural memory, but it didn't actually happen. It was just helpful for them at the time. And when I kind of came to that conclusion, I'm like, well, is that it? Am I not a Christian anymore? Like, I don't believe Moses actually led an exodus out of Egypt. Am I done? Is this over? And I decided, no, actually. The Bible doesn't say this is a true historical story. It just presents a story of people trying to figure something out. And it's actually culture that's telling me I have to believe that. I have to believe that story to be a Christian. Uh, again, they don't get to they don't get to do that with me. <laughs> they don't get to tell me what it does and does not mean um to be a believer because never once does the Bible say if you don't believe in Moses, <laughs> you're done. So, I'm good. So here you are. So yeah, here I am. Um I think the Bible is incredibly valuable literature. Um I think the story of Jesus is still beautiful, um, even if it's confusing. Like, I actually have a lot of questions about the story of Jesus, especially like, why does Jesus have to come down and fulfill some rules that were made up by a God who like set them up that way? Like, why not just not set it up that way? You've got like, you've got all these things and it's like, well, but why? But I'm actually comfortable in that place. Whereas a lot of people would tell me I shouldn't be because I'm not part of the culture anymore. <laughs> like, I, I believe Jesus was a historical person. I think it's academically um, irresponsible to not think he is. I mean, if you're coming at it from an academic perspective, um, I still think he died for people to show him that he loved them. And I don't think that has to mean what the church has told me it means. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at now of like this academic deconstruction of mm-hmm. what I've always been told. I've got a tent pull that Jesus loves people and that I should love people. That's like the one thing I haven't torn down. Um, and I'm comfortable there. <laughs> People have asked me like, well, when is deconstruction over for you? Or like, when do you like rebuild? I'm like, actually, no, I'm, I'm comfortable here. (laughs) Like I'm comfortable in this place, this place of like not needing, um, not needing those, those answers done. I'm going to search for them, but I'm actually not searching for them to find the answer. I'm searching for them to learn more about history, learn more about God, learn more about myself. (laughs) Like I don't really need your frameworks. (laughs) Well, and to that point, um, there's too much to learn to ever be finished. Like there's way too much. Um, If it was just going to stop at like, I don't, you know, I don't like the God of the Bible. He's cruel and evil. Like that would be it. But there's so many layers to it Mm -hmm. to just be like, all right, I deconstructed. I do believe or I don't believe. And it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I I would say that accepting a, a lifestyle of deconstruction no matter what Matt Chandler thinks is accepting a lifestyle of like asking questions and digging deeper, not a lifestyle of like, Oh, I want to go do drugs or 
Mm-hmm. Like a Berean. Like a Berean. Like the Bible actually <laughs> says the good the good guys did it that way. <laughs> yes, exactly. The commendable ones heard heard the stuff and then went and checked it out for themselves. Well, but I mean Matt Chandler just a few weeks ago was like, people are deconstructing. <laughs> People are deconstructing because they think it's sexy and cool and <laughs> super sexy, cool. And it's the new sexy thing. But if you really experienced Jesus, you can't deconstruct from that. It's like, really? <laughs> well, now I just want to deconstruct because you said that. It's just like, hmm. And, and you wonder, you wonder why it's happening. So The problem with that is that through deconstructing, there's so many things that you thought were God or you thought were Jesus that you're like, oh, my faith was important to that because it pushed me to change this part of my life. Mm-hmm. It pushed me to be proactive, but I actually did that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I one of the things that I realized almost immediately when I started really like following God, quote unquote, to use the terminology in college, one of the first things that I remember having a problem with is like I've been to concert. People worship at other like secular concerts too. It just mm-hmm. because music does that to people. Right. <laughs> like it puts them in that state. And right. like they didn't, they weren't attributing it to some higher being. The Holy Spirit, which is just the air conditioning, like getting turned up and. Yeah. Yeah. The air conditioning getting turned up, the, them playing minor chords, mm-hmm. them telling you like, you have to make decisions that impact the rest of your life. Like, I, I, I mean, Cameron will attest even at my like most fervent, like things like altar calls, I've always thought are manipulative and bad. Mm-hmm. like i've always been like no especially like church camp where you're kind of like sleep deprived a little bit and um yeah it's just like yeah everything's kind of around that moment yeah we, it's kind of been a contentious relationship in our friend group because they grew up going to like the biggest southern baptist camp in the nation um and i did not and like i went with my church one time and i hated it i thought it was awful and like really harmful but they had so many memories when they were kids from it and like had so many enjoyments from it and it was kind of a contention like actually think this really sucks and it's bad for people <laughs> like did we go to the same place <laughs> yeah i never went as a child no, you went later when they sold out <laughs> yeah i went later when they sold out <laughs> not that old time stuff <laughs> classic so it's it, it's been almost even kind of a contention in the friend group like oh yeah i forgot around this friend i'm not really allowed to say how just awful this is <laughs> You're free to say any of those things around me. It's true. Cameron knows where I'm at most, mostly. Um, so yeah, I, I would still even say that I love Jesus because I think Jesus loved people. I really would. Um, but if I'm talking to like a evangelical Southern Baptist, I don't think we're talking about the same Jesus. No, not at all. I mean, people keep pointing it out. They're like, hey, look, this is who Jesus was and and crickets, like crickets. You don't hear anything from the other side saying like, no, actually, like the Jesus that we're defending, like white Jesus who loves capitalism and patriarchy, like that is Jesus. Here are the verses to support that. It's crickets. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Because there is, I mean, there is no support for it. Jesus never told a girl to put her hands at her side and her tunic could only be that long. (laughs) Um, I have a question for you, Chance. Sure. So like, how do you, or, or do you reconcile like the cruelty of God with believing that he exists? 
So like the cruelty of the biblical God. Yeah. Things like uh, Deuteronomy 31, where he literally tells Israel, kill everyone except for the virgins, burn half Mm -hmm. of those to me, and then distribute the other half among your men. And it's like the capture, rape and murder of 12 year old girls, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I honestly, by not believing it. (laughs) And I know that sounds bad, but I think, I think it's important to understand, especially in my Christian faith right now, that no one in the Bible had the Bible. Right. And I know that that's a weird place to, weird place to start. But to me, the Bible is a collection of stories with some myth, some legend, and some history about a whole lot of people trying to figure something out. (laughs) And like, I don't believe the Deuteronomy stories happen. (laughs) I really don't. I think that they were trying to make a theological point at the time about um, the superiority of the Israelite people versus the people that they were conquering. And I think that point, like, and they used that story to kind of promote that idea. Um, and I think, I think for good and bad reasons, I think most of that stuff was written during the Assyrian period where the Assyrians were awful. Like they're known as one of the most brutal empires of all time. And they destroyed, sacked, pillaged, and had some of the worst tortures of all time. So this is the period in which most of the Bible, Israel, the Northern kingdom has been destroyed. And if Israel doesn't come up with the money to pay or not Israel, Judah, because Israel's gone. If Judah doesn't come up with the money to pay um, Assyria, they're dead. Um, so they're living under this constant oppression. And I think they write these things to give their people hope. Like there is a God. He is better. He is superior. He, he gave us this promise of this land. And I think it's a story of comfort that does not read well later on that doesn't. Um, but I, that's who I, that's why I think that story is in there. I don't think it's in there because it happened. I think it's in there because we're trying to make a point about it happening. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of things in the Bible that I think are just trying to make a theological point. Mm-hmm. I, no one thinks Job actually happened because one, how could anyone know like a conversation among spiritual beings in heaven and on earth? Like it's, it's trying to make a theological point about putting your faith in God. Back then everyone had just like this, like tiny little man in the corner, just jotting things down on scrolls as they happened. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Divine sticky notes. Divine yeah. sticky notes. You know, and I mean, now now I know things like, you know, the gospel of Mark was written. The gospel of Mark does not even include the resurrection. Um, and then uh, whoever writes Matthew and whoever writes, writes Luke get a hold of it. And they're like, Matthew's like, I need to make this story make more sense for Jews. And Luke's like, I need to make this story make more sense for people in the Roman Empire. So they expand on it, whoever they are. They add things and take away things. Um, Um, And they come up with those three gospels. And about 50 years later, uh, the gospel of John is written because cults are popping up and each one is written to make a theological point. Mm -hmm. Like, and I under, now that I understand things like that, like, I I still think it's beautiful. I honestly do. Like people are like, oh, so you don't believe that scripture is valuable or beautiful. I actually do. Like, I think this, this continuous story of these people trying to figure out under great oppression because Israel was oppressed pretty much its entire existence. Um, this, these people trying to figure out like, how do I do my best? How do I keep my cultural identity? How do I 
like stick to the things I believe while under this constant oppression? Um, and how, and how do I love people? Like, how does, how does God love people in this, in this time of oppression? I think what's concerning about that specifically though, is that, um, it, it shows so much of God loving people by hurting others. Yes. And that, that only these people are valuable, which is why there's so much, um, why it's able to be used as a weapon so much. And, and you're right. It's beautiful. If we took any book off of our bookshelf and decided this is the way that we're living, like we're going to live the way, I don't know, the sort of truth series. Like we're just going to live this way now. And, yeah. and all of these things happened. And and they happen for a reason, and we're going to follow this path, it would be harmful. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I think there's a certain extent to which, like, like if I believe, this, just going back to the De- Deuteronomy passage, if I believe God actually did that, like, I think I would be out. <laughs> Like, um, or in, uh, what is it? Judges two, or it might be 22. I'm, I'm blanking at the moment. Um, he like, doesn't like Israel's new King. So he sends a spirit of deception into the mouth of his prophet to like lead him into a battle. He won't win. So he'll die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay. Like Jesus or not Jesus, but God like lying, deceiving and murdering. <laughs> Like, okay, mm-hmm. um, that's what I wasn't taught that in Sunday school. And like, if I believed those things actually happened the way that they are like written, like I'd be out, but I don't think they did. <laughs> like, no. And, and there's so many gaps. There's people chose which things were going to go into the Bible and left out a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. because it didn't fit their narrative. Yeah. And and I remember the first time I learned about the Gnostic Gospels, sure. I was like, wait, do those exist? Like, I read about them in a fictional book and was like, do those act like, is this a real thing or did she make this up? Because, you know, I grew up in a Christian home where I didn't know anything. And, um, and so, like, I went to the library and I got a whole bunch of books and I started studying about them. I'm like, so they exist. Mm-hmm. Like they're real things that didn't fit the narrative. So they didn't get put in. And a then couple of them almost did get put in. And then translators played a big old game of telephone and made the translations fit their narrative. And then we went ahead and translated those translations into other languages so that we could be the saviors of the world. And it's just, it's too much. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, one of the big arguments I just had with a friend recently, just to, to your point, was about like whether or not the Bible says homosexuality is wrong. And like they bring up, it, it's always uh, three verses, two in the mm-hmm. New Testament and one in Leviticus. And like the one in Leviticus is surrounded by like, don't let debts go longer than seven years. Don't wear mixed fabrics. Like mm-hmm. don't sit in a chair that a woman's just had her period on. Like like it's surrounded by those things. So obviously those don't apply in a modern context. Like even if that does say that men shouldn't lay with men and women shouldn't lay with women, it's within a whole bunch of other things we reject. So why don't we reject that? Right. And then the, the stuff in the New Testament, um, it's both instances are one word and the first ever usage of that word in the entire ancient world is that it are those passages and like we don't know what it means we don't have any we don't have any semblance of how it was used before or how it was used after and it's this one word that could 
mean homosexual. It could mean uh, someone who buys a prostitute to sodomize them. It could mean a man laying with a young boy, like all these things. And we don't know because it is a word that we don't know how to translate because it was made up by Paul in that moment. And it's just like, oh, so we don't know nearly as much as we think we do, do we? Well, and and you have to realize that like so many people talk about how, well, we don't do the things from the Old Testament because then Jesus died for our sins, which negated all of the like traditions and the rituals and stuff that were supposed to make us clean. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it could evolve from that to the New Testament, why wouldn't it have stopped evolving over time? Why would it end there? And I I had that conversation with my grandmother like, hmm about four years ago when things were really really coming to a head um and she she is like my rock because she is a very devout christian but she's also a very logical person Mm -hmm. and i i asked her that i was like why wouldn't the bible continue to evolve like why wouldn't this tale this this thing that we're supposed to live by continue to evolve and she said well because they didn't want it to like if if it continued to evolve as we evolved, they would realize that we don't need a man and a woman to continue populating the earth because science evolved and it wouldn't matter. But back then they needed to make sure that the population was increasing. So, well, obviously a man has to lie with a woman for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't if people were just like, well, I'm actually attracted to this guy over here and we're going to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just a really interesting thing to hear her her talk about the fact that like people couldn't let things evolve because it would negate the way they wanted things done mm-hmm. um i don't know if you were ever on tiktok oh just a bit um there's a guy i really like on tiktok um he's a bible scholar named dan mcclain or dan mcclellan something like that um he makes great content and he just recently did a video on something very similar to what you just said where he talks about um how throughout throughout history religions new generations within a religion always have to renegotiate what came before to fit modern times they have to renegotiate and they have to renegotiate and they have to renegotiate the cultural norms based on the time um for example um daniel was probably written in the time when the greeks ruled over um the 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 Seleucid Empire that broke off of Alexander the Great's empire ruled over Israel, um, and they ruled over it pretty pretty harshly. And Daniel was probably written in that time, and it was written so that um, we could give the people in that time hope based on the time when they were enslaved to the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why Daniel was written. All scholars agree that the language in Daniel is from that time period, um, and it talks a lot about conquering Greeks for a book story written when the Greeks didn't own the land. Um, And so this is when Daniel is written. But once the Seleucids were gone, we have to renegotiate the purpose of Daniel. Now, it can't just be about that because we'd have to get rid of it. So now what is the new purpose of Daniel? Well, it must be later prophecies too. It must be further prophecies. So we have to renegotiate. We have to renegotiate. We have to renegotiate until you get a governing body involved. And a governing body wants to stay in power. So they stop the renegotiation. They say, this is what it is. And they ostracize and embarrass and kick out people who want to renegotiate because that would be renegotiating their power base. So it it turns into all about power is why these things can't evolve. Because if they could evolve, then the people in power might not be in power tomorrow. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was fascinating to your point about like, why wouldn't these things continue to evolve if they did? So yeah, I think, I think that's a fantastic point of like, if things change between the old and new Testament, why wouldn't they continue to change? Well, because the people in power don't want it to. It's true. Makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, uh, a lot of my, a lot of my deconstruction is based in is ba- I've been hurt by the church a lot, like quite a bit, but I always thought that there was this intellectual continuity between like myself and the church. And then over the last really five years, as that intellectual continuity is broken down and I've realized like, I actually don't believe the same things. I've gotten to this really kind of sticky place, I would say of like, well, I don't really want to exist in Christianity as it is, but like, I want community. I want like people. <laughs> I want um, these, these things, but I don't want their version of these things. So it's just led me to a, a weird place. I would say of like kind of one foot in one foot out kind of mentality and the rise of Trump and Christian nationalism has not helped. No one little bit. Yeah, I think it's funny because I think a lot of times people talk about deconstruction and how, you know, Trump coming to power was like that catalyst that really like pushed them to it. And I I think people would be surprised to find out how many people were already in that place and just like it it was it's been a long process that just happened to happen in the middle of it to sort of affirm things a little bit to say like oh this is this isn't new like the things that these people are saying right now it's not new like this is how i was raised and now i'm hearing it like out of donald trump's mouth which is wild like Mm -hmm. this is nuts yeah i would i would say that the rise of trump definitely accelerated it for a lot of us just because like I, I I had been on my journey for about maybe a year and a half, maybe two years when uh, he was elected to office. But man, when he was elected to office and the the ugly side of evangelicalism like came to light, it became a thing of like, oh, they're actively hurting more than just me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, this isn't just a they're hurting me thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no. <laughs> Well, it took it from they were saying these things within churches where like it might not reach the marginalized communities quite as like, I guess, far as as I thought it did. Like I knew what churches were teaching, but then I was seeing it said like on major news outlets across the world and hurting every marginalized community like in the world on national television and on twitter and on facebook and like it did absolutely put it on a grander scale and made me question the fact that like i stayed within churches for so long knowing that these are things that were taught um there there was a time uh that alden and i did start taking our kids to church um and we thought we had found like a church that was fun and it seemed really chill and you know the role it's not yeah (laughs) like and i remember one week they decided or one month they did you know how they'll how churches will do like a whole arc of of services so like every week it's like a topic that correlates to the topic from the week before or whatever Mm -hmm. and this month it was like things you don't talk about in church and um it started, I think it started uh, with like 
adoption, which we know how that would go, right? Like it would go against a woman's right to choose and and all of that, which is normal for a church. Um, And then like the next week, it was on the LGBTQ community. And we realized like they were super against it. And then the next, like it was just like week after week, they were like, this week we're talking about racism. And I'm like, but, but you're a white man. <laughs> and you have black people who are in leadership in your church. Why didn't you have them talk about that? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you about to teach me about racism? Yeah. Um, and it was after that week, we just didn't go back anymore. We were like, this is, I think this is bad. I don't think this is good. This is really bad. Um, it, I don't know. It's been a wild ride. Yeah, I know. I, I totally get that. And I, I, I legitimately don't know like what community looks like going forward. <laughs> Like, at least in, in, in that kind of a shared belief sense, because in Oklahoma, especially, and probably the same in Virginia, like, you're just so isolated. It's either like, everyone believes everything, or everyone believes nothing. <laughs> it's like, and I'm in this weird place where like, I do think there's some value to some of it. And like, good things happened to me in these places. But also, <laughs> I think culture wide, it's a net negative. <laughs> Yeah, I I definitely um I I was lucky enough to have already like sort of felt awkward in church surroundings in pretty much all of my adult life because um my whole family left the church that I had gone to for 20 years when I was 20 years old and decided to start going to a different church and I never quite felt like I clicked there and um I went there for most of my first marriage so 13 years we went to this church I never really connected with any person there I tried but it, I just never clicked Um, and, and then I left my husband and I find out like the first time someone ever emails me from that church, it was to tell me, oh, I found out that you left your husband because he came up on the stage to get prayed for today. So he went to church like without me, uh, and then gave them a sob story about how his wife left him and got prayed for so that these people then reached out to me to tell me that I had done something wrong. Um, and I've never felt comfortable in a church since mm. I was 20 years old. So that part at least isn't something I have to deal with. Sure. Um, so, so I, I feel for you, but because I think I, I always wanted that. I wanted mm. that community that I had growing up, but I never had it as yeah. an adult. Um, yeah, but I, I think as like, you can kind of drop things into conversation to see where other people stand on certain things. And I have had some of the best conversations in my adult life with coworkers and, and really everybody, because you just drop this little thing in and someone will go, Oh, I thought that was only me. Mm-hmm. And it spans generations. Like I work with people who are 10 years older than me. And I work with people who are 13 years younger than me. And there are shared experiences within religion that are either fun and crazy or just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I went through this. Yep. Yep. 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I have, I have a lot of great community, um, both believers and non-believers. Um, I've always worked retail or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I've, I've always had a great community of them. Um, I, I think for me, the problem is like, I don't feel like anyone believes exactly like me or like anywhere close. And I'm going to offend someone if I like, if I tell someone I believe in God. 
not, not really offend them. They're not going to be angry. They're just not going to be able to relate on the like on the one spectrum. And on the other mm-hmm. spectrum, if I tell somebody like, well, I do believe in God, but uh, I believe sex before marriage is fine. I don't believe in eternal conscious torment. Um, I believe that Israel for most of its ex- most of its existence was polytheistic. Like, yes, like I believe in God, but I also believe in all these things. I feel like they're going to reject me. It's just like, where do I, where do I go? Mm-hmm. What do I do? Yeah. How do I talk to somebody about this important thing in my life? I mean, at some point, you know, we all have to get to the point where we realize that no one, like there are no two people that believe exactly the same thing. That's true. Like no one. They, I could go to church with someone for 10 years of my life and sit next to them every single week and have lunch with them afterwards and dissect the sermon. And we will both have gotten different things out of every single sermon. Mm -hmm. And it's very wonderfully human because it, it can't, you can't possibly process things the same way as another person. It's, it's not possible. Yeah. Everyone's brain works completely different. It's kind of like, you know, seeing color and some people process that light a different way. And so they see color a little bit differently, like the dress, <laughs> the dress, the shoes. I don't know. My, my coworker, uh, her boyfriend actually, he calls himself colorblind, but it's just his perception is off. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's just our perception of like light. So what if he's seeing like the true color and like everything that I'm seeing is the wrong color? And that's kind of, it's kind of, that's kind of how religion is. Yeah. I love that. I think Tanya's like kind of giving me counseling at the moment. Uh-huh. It. <laughs> I think because I have, um, gotten to the point where like i don't want to believe in a cruel god like i think if if my faith is in a god that just wreaks havoc on the world the god of the bible mm-hmm. that kind of makes me a crappy person sure um if i believe that the bible is completely wrong it's a great story it's you know beautiful it's well written whatever but that that does not portray the god that i feel in my heart then so be it yeah but no one is going to completely agree with me and it doesn't matter because most of the things in our world are constructs anyway yeah well yes most of the things most of the things are most of the things we made up yeah it's <laughs> um, true yeah i one of the things just just on, on what you're saying that i've i've recently figured out one of my big questions is like if god were going to do this all and you had to believe in jesus to get to heaven if that was if this was the case then why is the story so unbelievable like and th- this this was a real struggle that i was dealing with is like why are there so many supernatural elements why are there so many things that don't line up with history that's in the archaeological record like why do we have zero evidence of a two million person exodus out of Egypt around the collapse of the Bronze Age? Like, why, why, if he's this infinite God, like, why this one way? And I have to hear it this one way and believe it this one way. Like, it just, if he's this all powerful God who set everything up, why set things up this way? Like, right. it seems like a crappy choice. Um, And this is when I kind of came to one of those conclusions. Maybe it's not set up that way. Maybe Mm -hmm. what I'm struggling to believe isn't God or even necessarily the Bible, though interpreting what I say the Bible, I'm saying that 
in a different interpretive framework than what a lot of people use. Like, what if it's not set up that way? What if the cultural interpretation and the things that we place value on and the things that we say, like, what if that's the thing I'm finding unbelievable? And this story about this nation trying to survive and making a lot of mistakes and making a lot of um, recoveries from those mistakes and like trying to do the best they can. Like I can believe that (laughs) I can believe the history of a nation. (laughs) It's kind of like Disney's Pocahontas. (laughs) Yeah. Pocahontas existed. John Smith existed. Like they were both there. Other characters in that movie also existed, but it's not the way it was in the movie. Right, exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be. Right. Like no nowhere nowhere in anything like authoritative does it say it has to be. Like that's what culture tells us. Mm-hmm. That's what right. the Donald Trumps of the world tell us. Like it has to be this way or it's wrong. It's like, but why though? Like, why? And see, you are an intellectual. Like you're very smart and you obviously have a very good attention span uh when it comes to reading things that I don't know. I guess I probably wouldn't find them that fascinating. <laughs> But but your perspective on deconstruction is so valid and it's so good. And I think it's very important for people to hear. But it's completely different than my perspective on deconstruction because I'm sitting here and I'm like, I was taught lies and I was taught that abuse is okay. And I Mm -hmm. was taught that like treating people like garbage is love and that I'm supposed to like basically lay down my life and my desires and my um, talents and everything that I do is going to be for this like being that actually treats everyone like garbage. Mm -hmm. So like it's, it's so fascinating how different deconstructions can be while some butthead on Twitter is like, oh, you guys just want to be sexy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A pastor's telling us that we just, or the one, the one that I haven't gotten a lot because I know the people I should and shouldn't talk to, but I know people get all the time. It's like, you just want, you just want permission to sin. It's like, actually my lifestyle hasn't changed at all. Like, well, There's way more permission to sin <laughs> if yes. you are, a christian because all you have to do is be like oh jesus forgive me and then like it's washed away and it doesn't matter there's no repercussions everyone has to forgive you for it because like you repented so like it doesn't exist anymore but in Mm -hmm. the real world everything you do has an actual consequence and an effect Mm -hmm. so it's way easier to sin it is way easier for these pastors and these youth pastors to take advantage of people within their congregations because all they have to do is stand up at the pulpit and be like oh i made a mistake i did something wrong i cheated on my wife but god has forgiven me i've i've laid it all down at the altar and i'm clean again and like i'll never do it again and there's no consequence Mm -hmm. no yeah I, i completely agree in fact i think the church in general, and this is something that I was getting at even before my deconstruction, we have created a culture where especially young men um, find justification in living in guilt because we're always telling men like, don't look at porn, don't look at porn, don't look at porn, don't look at porn, but they always do. And like, they feel bad. Like it becomes this, this like self-creating cycle where men just always live in guilt and everything they're doing is okay because they're guilty about it. And they're asking for forgiveness, but 
they keep doing it mm-hmm. and it's not just porn it just starts there and then right like, and then it doesn't it doesn't separate that from something that's actually bad and harmful yeah yeah exactly to like. other people so they're like okay i'm watching porn and i'm not supposed to watch porn and i feel bad and i feel guilty and this is bad i'm gonna repent from it well i'm also not supposed to assault this person mm-hmm. yeah exactly oops Oops, I did that. And yeah. now I need to repent from it. I'm so deeply sorry. <laughs> like, yeah, and it just it, it, it keeps going that way of like the guilt justifies the thing, but also feeds the bad thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Whether it is, you know, salt or affairs or like money laundering. Money like, laundering. Mm-hmm. yeah, I was trying to think of a think nice. Even- even bigger than those kind of big things, but just like a general spirit of like gossip and Blind. talking about other people and tearing other people down yeah. just in general, like all of those things just kind of continue mm-hmm. that cycle. It's really easy to either I'm talking about to like talk about those big things, which are like really bad things and things to be avoided or like, well, you know, I cuss sometimes. Yeah. Um, or I get, I get angry in traffic or whatever. Gosh. Where it's just like really cop out things or like really big things. But it's like across the whole spectrum of like how we treat people. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to like justify those things or put them in that cycle mm-hmm. of, right. Well, I feel bad about it. And so I ask for forgiveness and then I can, but it just kind of continues because there's no change yeah. in behavior. There's no substitution. But the guilt, the guilt is the justification the uh-huh. whole time because you're supposed to be guilty if you're doing right. these bad things. And I think that leads to things like the reason I bring up the porn thing is because it leads to things like the Southern Baptist Church uh, molesting young girls and boys in youth groups. Like, well, they feel guilty about it. <laughs> like, well, and it's not just Southern Baptists. Like, it is yeah. across the board. I mean, it, oh, it's yeah. everywhere, but in the church, it's rampant. And unfortunately, um, you're bringing children and you're bringing teenagers into a place that you're like this is for god it is a safe space you are um trusting people that you don't know with your kids with your teenagers that there's rarely background checks i think um i tweeted about this during the ravi zacharias scandal uh because of the fact that like that one hit me really hard all of the other ones didn't for some reason but that one did (laughs) um and i was like they're not you're not getting background checks the nepotism in a church is crazy so like you've got pastors sons and grandsons just like running around teaching youth group taking kids on trips with no background check no there's no screening process you've got all these people working in children's churches and nurseries with no background check no screening process nothing you're trusting your kids with people who haven't even so much as had like a job interview they signed a piece of paper that said yeah, I'll volunteer to do this. And and people wonder why so much, especially sexual trauma, comes out of the church. It's yeah. it's a toy store. It's a candy factory yeah. for abusers. Yeah, and they have the perfect out. <laughs> like mm. they have the perfect excuse for their problems. Well, I'm sinful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, I repented. Oh well. Yeah. So and yeah, it's gross. It's gross. And I don't want a part of it anymore. <laughs> mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out what that looks like, but, but yeah, it's, I'm a, I'm a little angry just thinking, <laughs> but yeah, so you're right. We, we were taught these things that were actively harmful and now we've got to, we've got to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. And unfortunately we're also taught that guilt and self-loathing is a normal and justifiable part of life. So like thinking badly of ourselves is so ingrained in us that we can break the cycle of harming others others with our theology, but then we hate ourselves for the time that we spent hurting people with our theology. And then we're trying to figure out how to help other people not hurt people with their theology, because then we feel responsible for them. And like breaking free of the self-loathing cycle is a really difficult part of deconstructing. I agree. I, yeah, I agree. I am lucky in the fact that one, my self-worth was trashed a long time ago. <laughs> so nowhere to go but up. Well, I was just gonna say that I I've done a lot of secular work on rebuilding that and um getting over it in in therapy and counseling and um just like my own study. So I'm very lucky in, in, in a sense that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for so many of my friends who have questions and things, it's, it's exactly what you're saying. It's like, well, now I hate myself for the time I wasted or mm-hmm. like hate myself because of this thing that I did, like, because I shamed this girl for what she wore one time, things of that nature. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's not helpful either. <laughs> Or for, you know, the times where you go so far in the opposite direction that you are harming people too, like where you're just like, yeah, well, this sucks and, and you shouldn't believe in it and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's all they have to hold on to. And it can be harmful to tell them that too. Like it's, it, I don't know. It's so, it's a lot tougher than it seems. And I'm definitely not doing this to be sexy. And I'm definitely not doing this to be able to sin more. I just want to like lay in my bed and read my books and drink my tea without a constant feeling of self-loathing and guilt in my life. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. Loose leaf or bagged tea? Uh, both. Okay. Um, if it was only bagged tea, I would give you some guilt and self-loathing on that. But <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I would assume that you have never had celestial seasonings, sinus soother, sleepy time tea, if you are hating on bag tea. Uh, I haven't. I haven't had a lot of bag tea because I used to think I hated tea until uh, I went to this tea shop where they taught me all about loose leaf tea mm-hmm. and I fell in love with tea there and I really love loose leaf tea. Um, never gone back to bag tea. I mean, I never really started because I always thought I hated it. But I'm just not a big tea drinker because I hate the British so much. <laughs> I just love America too much to drink tea. I love tea. I love tea and coffee. I love hot beverages. Me too. Um, I don't. That's the thing. I just don't like And it. I make loose leaf tea. So Okay, she's too legit. I can't be snobby about tea around her. You'd it's super her easy. Trap. You just have to like dry herbs and flowers and stuff. The guy who taught me about tea did. He like collected tea and he mm-hmm. let me try this tea that's worth like $300 an ounce. It's like this tea that was that was made for this Chinese emperor and it like has this whole story. I will That's say wild. It was on a mission trip to Ooh. Bangladesh where we went towards the end of our trip. We he did, to the, not me. He didn't, right? Only me. Not only me, there are other people there too. But of the people on this call, <laughs> only me. 
But we went to like some tea plantations there in like Bangladesh. And there was just this little tea shop. And it was like this legendary seven layer tea that he, they served to us. I'll see if I can find a picture and maybe we can post it. The seven layer tea. But it was like this drink. And as you drink it, it just like changes like the flavor profile as you start to when you finish. Um, and it was really good. I wonder if I can Pinterest that. Seven layer tea. Seven layer so, tea. He's told me about it several times and I've meant to go try to find a recipe. I would say it changed my life, but I don't really drink tea. <laughs> so, so it did nothing it for you. It wasn't that good. Yeah. I either like garbage, but delicious Southern sweet tea or like loose leaf, um, no container uh, during steeping, like uh, tea. And I do, I've never touched anything in between. <laughs> Have you seen the guy on TikTok who makes like real chai tea while talking about the Bible? No, but I want to. He's amazing. And like, he's like super, super Christian. Um, But he makes like, I mean, you see him like grinding spices and all this stuff and like putting them in a simmer pot and like, it looks delicious. I'm I'm all for that. Sounds delicious. I do like a good chai. Cameron doesn't. He doesn't like tea. Yeah, I just, hot beverages upset my tummy. It's like I can't help it. It's true. I'm sorry, Alden's pretty much the same. He waits until a hot beverage gets to like room temperature before mm-hmm. he drinks it, and I'm like, that defeats the purpose completely. Like, I need mine steaming in my face. Yeah, well, but that's because we're tea lovers. Like, tea lovers can take hot more than anybody because we sip our drink like boiling lava hot. Mm-hmm. This is why Alden and I need to do a podcast together where you guys just sit there mostly in silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't want you to Alden like completely left the room and he took his shoes. He might have left me. I don't know. <laughs> he, what, look and see if his game systems are still there. If they are, you're good. Uh, I think he took his switch with him. So maybe uh, I was just being too loud. That's the nature of the switch. <laughs> it's mobile. But why did he need his shoes? Maybe I've always wanted to go for a walk while playing my switch, but I know I would trip and break it. Okay. He would do that. I think he has done that. <laughs> I, I try to ride the exercise bike and play it sometimes, but it only works for certain games. That makes sense. If it gets too involved, I can't do it. <laughs> so I tried to play Hollow Knight on it, and I just found myself stopping pedaling. I'm like, this is defeating the purpose. I can't do it. I realized something very important just yesterday, and that is as I've gotten into my old age, I am too anxiety stricken to play video games oh, i just no. i just am like it could be the games i choose i don't know but la- yesterday or two days ago i started playing a game on game pass that was really fun and then i couldn't get past a certain point and i was just like starting to stress so bad that i stopped playing it and it was like a kid's game and i just couldn't get past that point so what do i do i start playing plague tale plague tale i don't even know what that is oh there's a second one coming out it's a very very highly anticipated sequel to a game that I can't get through the first hour of because I had a panic attack. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and then Alden that. tells me, yeah, that's why I can't play that game. Because, like, you die over and over and over again. And, like, you're kids. It's, like, you are a kid and you're trying to protect your little brother who's five, who is also, like, and you guys just die over and over again. Yeah. it's terrible. I don't think I can play that one either. So, games aren't for me, I don't think, unless it's, like, Lily's Garden on my phone. Very- Homescapes. 
You ever get into homescapes? I no. It's fun. It's a match three. Oh, I love match three. That's I mean, Lily's garden is kind of like that too. Yeah, my wife is really into homescapes, like a ton. So thing to do. Christian pop culture, huh? Yeah, I mean, if we want to, that went longer than I thought it was going to. I think it was really good. <laughs> and I didn't even talk. I thought I, I, I think that's a great discussion. I don't know if it is going to be the most fun for people to listen to, but I think that'll be interesting. I think it's that whenever I go on a tangent on my own podcast, Alden's like, "You are speaking about a very." niche thing to like people who might not understand and i'm like i I don't know i think a lot more people understand than you think oh yeah i I actually will say this about it i think the future of the church in america is deconstruction like whether they like it or not whether i think over the next several years, you will see an increase in um, pastors talking about outreach to those deconstructing, like the primary mission field will become people who are deconstructing. And eventually, when pastors realize that they can't beat it, they'll start trying to join it, but control it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the future of Christianity in America is deconstruction because these these systems that have been in place for so long, I just don't think are um, ob- ob- obtainable anymore without like authoritarian <laughs> levels of control over people. We're just too educated. We just know too much. I, I do think, you know, to your point, it's also important to state that when you start to deconstruct, like that is for you. Yeah. It is not for a group of people on Twitter who are telling you how to do it or right. where you should be or that you're stupid for thinking things a certain way. If you are a Christian who has doubts, if you are a person who's in the middle of your deconstruction, finding an online group of people is not the best thing to do because what that is doing is creating that same dichotomy just a different story it's a good way to get indoctrinated in a different way um i agree listen to different things by different people and read books by different people read books by rachel held evans where she's she held on to her faith until she died like she Mm -hmm. she dissected everything and loved jesus so much Mm -hmm. and she was wonderful um and and read books or listen to people talk about what made them decide to be atheist or agnostic or even convert to judaism like don't it it is not one size fits all and don't get on twitter and be like "Ooh, this is hashtag exvangelical let me follow these people like super don't do that because it is incredibly toxic and it is not different than following a bunch of evangelicals on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I, I actually want to add to something you're saying because I think it's really important. Um, and also, if someone tries to exclude you from a community that you want to belong to or like you feel like you do belong to, screw those people. Like this gatekeeping nonsense needs to go away. Like if you want to still consider yourself a Christian, but have like almost no beliefs in common with Christians, I say you do it. I am a little hesitant to take the name these days, but if you want to consider yourself Christian, do it. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. Like, Mm -hmm. why do they get to be the dictator on what is and isn't a Christian? Like, screw those people. (laughs) Right. And again, it goes back to once you realize that everything is a construct anyway. Yeah, exactly. All that is, is it's a name tag. Like, it's it doesn't matter. Yeah. There are people with different levels of relationship with 
a being that they think of as God or that is God or that might be God. And there are these people and they get together and the concept of religion does not exist except for our discord around the concept of religion. If we didn't talk about these things around each other, it would not exist. So adding another voice to the people talking about it does not exclude you from it. That's what people in power um, want you to think because it doesn't exist. Right. It's also important throughout this journey to not shun things just because they're Christian and not mm-hmm. shun people just because they're Christian, because you could be robbing yourself of something that brings you joy or enriches your life. There's a YouTuber. She's my favorite YouTuber. Um, and she makes it very clear. She and her husband are Christians, but she never talks about politics she never talks about anything other than like you know i love jesus and like this morning i was reading the bible and praying or whatever but if i were to decide like i don't like the fact that like she's so open about the fact she's a christian like that bothers me i'm not in that world anymore i would rob myself of one of my favorite things ever Mm -hmm. and it's not necessary yeah and i think i think you do have a lot of deconstructionist edgelords out there who are like (laughs) The Bible, that fairy tale. You you really associate with people who openly believe in a wizard in the sky. <laughs> Those people are unhelpful. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed that they believed in it once. Um, yeah. A book that was it's uh, I think it's called "Of Mess and Moxie" by Jen Hatmaker. And I don't read a lot of uh, nonfiction. So really Rachel Held Evans and, uh, one book by Jen Hatmaker was <laughs> like all the nonfiction I've ever read in my life. Oh, um, yeah. but she, she had a whole chapter in that book, um, where she was talking about the fact that she, you know, had come to her stance on affirming LGBTQ Christians and people in general and how, um, her love of people and her love of Jesus meant that she could not continue to uh, back the lie of love the sinner and hate the sin Mm -hmm. because that's not real love and that you can't know these people and and not love them for who they are because they're wonderful so she has this whole chapter about that and how she came to that realization and then after that she has a whole chapter about dealing with people that haven't come to that realization Mm -hmm. Um, and she uses the analogy of moving from house to house so she's like you sell your house you move to a new house and you love your house, but you loved the house that you were in before. So you can't judge the person who moved into that house, like for loving that house and being in that house and living in that house. You can't be like, oh, you live in that house now because that person is learning and growing too. So like, that's what her analogy was, is that people learn and grow at different rates. Mm -hmm. And you were there once before, like you lived in that house before you had that mindset before and through discussion, and friendship and and people loving and talking to you, you realize you were wrong and you moved out of that house mm-hmm. um and that was really important to me because that's beautiful yeah if it weren't for that there would be a whole lot more of me being like you're wrong you're wrong you're wrong like i can't believe you would think this way instead of just talking things through with people the way that my best friend in high school did with me mm-hmm. um and he didn't know that to me they don't owe that to us um yeah but that's just proof of their the fruit like they have great unrotten fruit unlike a lot of the churches yeah yeah absolutely um 
Um, I, I think that's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I have one more caution I, that I can think of. Don't let anyone like you're destroying framework. Don't let anyone bully you into a framework because no one is right. Mm-hmm. Like when you come to the realization that no one is right and being right isn't actually all that important, you become a lot more comfortable living in questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super important. Like don't let anyone set, say, well, if you're not right, you're wrong and bully you into a new framework. Mm-hmm. Like people ask me all the time. I, I said this earlier, but I think it's worth repeating. Like when does reconstruction start for you? Or like when, when does deconstruction end for you? I'm like, I'm actually not... <laughs> I'm good. Like I am good in these questions. I don't have some need to be correct. I don't have some need to be better than everyone else by being right. Like I am a okay in the questions. Mm -hmm. I am good being here. Like your question about um, your question about like how awful God can be in the old Testament. I think it's super valid and I have an answer for it because it's something I've thought about a lot, but like, Am I going to call that answer that I gave you in the question again down the line? Of course I am, because I'm not interested in rebuilding new frameworks that I have to strictly stick stick mm-hmm. to. I just want to be comfortable in the question because no matter what, I'm going to be wrong ultimately. Right. So yeah. Don't let anyone bully you into a new framework. Don't let anyone make you feel wrong because they are also wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Ultimately, don't let this thing that no one actually knows anything about whatsoever destroy your life, divide you from people. Like, it's just not necessary. Um, The only time it's necessary to divide is if those people are using abusive rhetoric to harm people. Yeah, absolutely. Marginalizing people, uh, furthering power dynamics that are harmful. Um, Those things I will call out in a heartbeat. Um, I will call out, even though the church as a whole, and I mean like almost every church in America, is silent on this big evangelical gathering called America Fest last week. Um, I will call it out every day because it's evil and boring. You know that was a thing. That's the thing that everyone cheered for Kyle Rittenhouse, and they like oh that thing. They yes. gave him like a stadium so entrance. Garbage. Why did you have to make my stomach hurt at eleven twenty one p.m.? He yeah. who must not be named's name. Well, I mean, but like, <coughs> that's the kind of stuff I would call it every day. like Mm -hmm. that kind of absolute trash garbage Mm -hmm. i mean i don't care if you think what he did was illegal or not the dude killed two people and like maybe he did it legally maybe he did it illegally let's not get into debating finer points of a law of like legal defense here but at the end of the day you are cheering giving a stadium entrance his own theme song fireworks fireworks to someone who if he wasn't there two people would still be alive um Um, And to someone who is not fully developed yet, he is still a child. Yes. And this this entire thing has altered his brain pattern forever. And this is a person who is going to be raising other people. We can hope not, but probably. He's going to get a smoking hot wife and he's going to (laughs) have little babies that he's going to teach. And I, I don't think there's any going back for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't I don't either. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, there are things I will call out. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying like be silent on all things because America Fest, which was attended by mostly evangelicals <laughs> and a ton of huge evangelical leaders, um, was evil. Yeah, there's some easy stuff to call out and say, yeah. no, that's that's not it. Yeah, that's evil and bad. <laughs> How are people so out of touch? I just don't understand. Like that doesn't like this isn't even about religion and Christianity. It's about like how does that many people have such a lack of empathy or a lack of sympathy or a lack of compassion? How are that many people so cold? Yeah, no joke. How many yeah, how are people gosh, I don't even know what they are. Cold seems like not strong enough of a word. I don't think it exists. Yeah. The limit does not exist. But I don't understand it. I don't. But well anyway. <laughs> that was a fun note to go out on. Yeah. I think I think we'll do another one of these at some point if Tanya will come back. Um, well, yeah, definitely. We love this. And we'll talk about some funner things. Your uh, The Big M's by Lust Control. Um, uh, Super Kid Academy. Oh, uh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. You guys know Super Kid Academy? Wait, no. You know Super... Yes. I, am the I only, don't. I am the only person Commander who Commander Kelly ever was my hero. Commander Kelly of the Super Kid Academy. I am the only person that I know that remembers Super I'm Kid Academy. I'm the only person that I know that remembers Super Kid Academy. And can you okay. believe, like, you see Kenneth Copeland now? I didn't that, Kenneth Copeland was in it. Kenneth, that's his daughter. Oh, Kelly Copeland is Commander Kelly. Kenneth uh, Copeland Ministries made Super Kid Academy. I had no idea. Mm, nepotism. Yep. Uh, Super Kid Academy. Their, their theme song is pretty legit. Super Kid Academy. Um, all of their songs were legit. Like, <laughs> all I want to do is watch Super Kids now so bad. Like, I, I would go to my friend's house and she had them on VHS and we would, like, watch them and play, like, ooh, he's hot. Like, that's my boyfriend. Like, <laughs> and then, the, like, two years later, the next video set would come out and be like, oh, man. Like, because they we were growing up with them. Like they were literally my age. And I was like, wow, like that guy's really cute now. And she's like, well, I think the other one's cuter now. Yep. There were like two cute boys on Super Kids. Super Kids. See, my dad was a pastor, but we engaged with good media (laughs) content. Um, Did you get to do like secular stuff? Uh huh. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is what's really weird. I know so many pastors' kids, and they were all allowed to indulge in secular media. I was not a pastor's kid. I got none of it. I wasn't allowed to have uh-huh. any. Oh, good. And see, I don't feel like I fit the stereotype of, like, pastor's kid. You know, like, you wild, out of control. Oh, no. Doing all sorts of sinful nonsense and dancing and drinking and stuff. It's like I was a really good kid. We didn't ever get into any of my stuff, but that's fine. Oh, yeah. I'm not. Did you want to? You want to go ahead? What's your story? It's not anywhere near y'all's level. I just sort of level level of (laughs) intensity. I felt like I just sort of grew up, made my way into it. Um, Yeah, but being the pastor's kid, like my dad. The other thing is my voice is going away. So I'll go as much as I can. No, I don't. Um, Kenyon Black, let's get you some. I'll try that Sleepy Time Celestial. It's like the Sleepy Time Sinus Soother in particular. It's amazing. amazing. The sinuses need soothing. Um, Yeah, I grew up like in church, but wasn't 
strict, like in that way, like played Pokemon, read Harry what? Potter. The demons? The mm-hmm. demons that could give you seizures? Yeah, I mean, my my grandpa was also a, a pastor, and I had, like, the Pokédex book. And I feel like he was, like, looking at it one time, and then it was like, talk to my mom, was like, you need to tell him to be careful. But that was all she really said. I was like, hey, just be careful. And I was like, I am, Mom, don't worry. Um, and did you say you got of... to read Harry Potter? Uh-huh. Do you know how many dollars worth of books got thrown away when my mom found them in different places in my room over the course of like seven years? Oh, gosh. I feel like I, I remember you telling us about that. absolutely not allowed to read Harry Potter. Yeah, we read them all. My mom read them. Like, I wrote the book tests for AR for the school that I went to because we didn't, we couldn't afford to buy them. So I would write them. Um, yeah, so just kind of grew up in that, but still like really in like church, like church culture too. Um, like my, quote unquote rebellion as I was in like high school was like listening to really hard Christian music, you know, like Lecrae. Lecrae. No. For, for a second I was like, the the drink? That's LaCroix. Like but, like metal? Uh-huh. Oh, well. Like like Demon Hunter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> I have demon a demon Hunter. I have a Demon Hunter tattoo. Oh, wow. Amazing. I'm just feeling like this. I don't know either. You were fine. Yeah, it's just what's happening. I think this (laughs) This is is divine. I I think that God is trying to tell us that it's time to get Cameron some tea. Never. And that we should probably wrap of this blasphemy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God isn't punishing them to you people who are blasphemy. And that's all for now, guys. You'll have to tune in next time between seasons five and six when we come back to this again. Yeah, or whenever. Or whenever we do. Um, yeah, at least in terms of growing up, nowhere near the situations you guys found yourself in. Like it was nurturing and like enjoyable, but I feel like growing up in church and kind of deeply in that culture as I grew up, just sort of like through happenstance, like moving to Boston and kind of being involved in a church up there. Um, it's just a very different way that people approach their faith. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, Oklahoma, um, more intellectual, like more comfortable with wrestling with bigger topics. And then when we came back to Oklahoma, like the church that we were a part of and we're still a part of is like very focused on like spending time with like the needy, caring about justice issues. Um, and so it's just like it feels very counter to what a lot of American evangelicalism is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't like intentional on our part. But now it does feel like I don't think we could ever go back mm-hmm. to what it was before. Like even like a couple of weeks ago, we, I was around some friends from college at a birthday party and all of them. It's like we homeschool our kids. Like we're all part of this church community. And I, I just feel like even the way everyone was kind of dressing, except for our friend Luke, who marches to the beat of his own drum. Um, but it's just like very samey. And I like love all the people. I know they're they're good people um, who like care about others and are trying to do the right thing. But it's just like it feels so different mm-hmm. from where I've ended up. Yeah. And like still loving Jesus, still believing like in God and faith. Yeah. But not I would say you still have a much more traditional mm-hmm. faith than I do. But it still just plays out in very different ways yeah. than I think I ever thought it would growing up. Yeah. And you have you have never looked down upon me for asking questions. No. Um, I was like, hey, what if the exodus didn't happen? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> that was a conversation uh-huh. we had one time. 
I think it's it's really uh I think that Cameron your ability to like be gracious with Chance when he's asking questions and stuff like that and I can't necessarily speak for you but I think it's wonderful and I think a lot of us uh have dealt more with people being like well you can't ask those questions like why would you ask those questions and it's because they feel fear because they have questioned the same things and they've never put words to it um because they aren't as solid in their beliefs and in their faith as they are projecting and i think um if you are gracious and you are willing to like acknowledge the fact that you don't have an answer for the questions it's just a proof of of your uh stance and your belief system and your i guess like how firm you are in it and how like like you haven't let it get like convoluted mm-hmm. well i thank you for speaking for me because i clearly can't <laughs> um, yeah but I, I i think like if i believe that god is like all powerful and like capable of so much like he can handle questions like to such a greater degree than I ever could mm-hmm. um, or the bigger questions than even the ones that maybe you're asking or that we have. It's like, he, he can, he can take it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I'm not, too, I'm not worried for him. <laughs> yeah. I, I figure if God is going to send me to hell for questioning things that obviously seem to need to be questioned, then like, I probably don't want to hang out with him anyway. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm there. <laughs> like I'm, I'm good. <laughs> And we don't have like, I mean, if hell is real, we don't have like a real idea of what it is like Mm -hmm. biblically. So like, it's probably fine. Yeah, actually, I I will go to my grave saying that almost every time we think it's talking about hell in the Bible, it's just talking about dying. Like just gone, just ceasing to exist. There's two places where you can make an argument. I love ending my night on an existential crisis. (laughs) Mm hmm. Uh, the best way. I am Batman. The camera is Batman. I finally done it. (laughs) I finally done it. Oh, and um, for any Christians out there who might be listening, uh, Septum Sempra, Expelliarmus, Avada Kedavra, all of the spells. We are really saying this because we are occult practicers. And, and they're real. <laughs> all those spells are real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I felt the need to do that. We were just talking about the satanic panic, and it's one of my favorite topics. So. It's one of my favorites, will turn too. you gay. Yeah, <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons will turn you gay. Was that was that the thing? Because I thought it was that it would, like, introduce, like, demons into your life. You could get... Well, what do you think those demons are going to do, Tanya? <laughs> gonna make you get see actually i really don't know i just kind of made that up actually when i started playing dnd and it, my mom found out the thing that i was told was that demons enter these kids bodies and yeah. commit suicide yes yeah that's they, what i was told too by pretending to use magic you open yourself up to the demons and you commit suicide as it says in Paul three, mm-hmm. <laughs> I so my mom um, Alden is very difficult for my parents to shop for, like for Christmas presents. So my mom got Alden a pen for Christmas, and Ooh. I guess in like taking everything out to the car on Christmas Eve night, the pen fell out of a bag in the yard. And my mom texted me, and she was like, uh, days later, by the way, did Alden realize that he lost his pen? And I was like uh yeah he did he thought it was in one of the bags that we haven't emptied because we're very busy and some of our christmas presents are still in bags she's like no i found it out in the yard and i was like he'll be so excited to use that when he goes to play D D on thursday she's like oh that's nice <laughs> like you can just like 
Never mind, I don't have his pen. <laughs> this pen is not for the work of the devil. <laughs> for his birthday and Christmas and everything. She's like, what does Alden want for his birthday? I'm like, oh, magic cards. Does he get magic cards? <laughs> Absolutely not. He gets a headlamp. <laughs> so he can play magic in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you go. It's late there and Cameron is dying. I have to go to yeah. work tomorrow. You do have to go to work tomorrow. But not like. Me too. Maybe. If it doesn't seem too much. Yeah. You you don't have kids. No. It'll be enjoyable. (laughs) Uh, And I start back the day after tomorrow. I like my job. I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) This is a hard year. I'm not particularly looking forward to going back. But I cannot imagine what you guys are going through this year. But Cameron, please get some tea. (laughs) <laughs> Get some tea. And stop talking. Maybe I'll be a tea drinker. You can do all the outro stuff. I'll just so long world. I'll put that in. <laughs> put that in a post. You, what are you talking I'm about? telling you to, to myself because I edit it. <laughs> um yeah. So we want to thank Tanya for coming and Alden for sparing you for a night. Um we like I said, we love you guys. We love having you on. We love talking to you. So we love you guys too. Uh I feel like you are my spirit animal, so <laughs> Take without yeah, we're, we have we have a lot in common. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, that's all from us here. We want to thank Dizzy Parker for our theme song. Um, if you want to find it and from uh, finding it, find all the other things that he's involved in. Uh, the description of this video will have a link. This not this video. This podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. I usually do this part. You do usually do this part. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week for the start of season five um tanya just so you know it is drew davenport so are you serious again <laughs> yeah he's coming on to start this season like he started last season we hope wonderful I mean, congratulations well, yeah anything could happen it's it's scheduled but who knows um yeah so we'll be doing that next week um so we're excited to to talk to drew again and um start season five the it's a season i'm kind of scared to cover mm-hmm. because of some iconic episodes so we'll see you'll do great it'll be a great time oh thank you you're very gracious and you guys are about to start season seven right yep oh wow it's crazy yeah we'll do five. our like interim episode next week and then after that it starts the final season what do you guys have a plan for after um we've talked about doing girl meets world um we've had quite a few listeners ask us if we are going to and originally it was a definite that yes we would do girl meets world um but as we get closer to it we are starting to feel less and less like that is something that we want to do like same it's exactly the thing that happened like the more we thought about it the more we were like but but really <laughs> alden has said like we could double up episodes every week since like there isn't going to be a lot to talk about like no that's the problem there's going to be too much to talk about everyone's going to think that i'm negative all the time like all the time maybe we just don't do girl mates world maybe it doesn't deserve it yeah it doesn't we, we we've talked about it and like originally we were definitely doing it Mm-hmm. And then we get got to the point of like, well, maybe we'll do like special episodes where we cover chunks of it while we do something we actually want to do. I think we're both kind of at this point now of like, I'm okay with, I'm okay without it actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. We like to do things just like flying by the seat of our pants over here at BMG and BMW. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're literally making this episode 
Yeah, like clearly we just play by our own rules. Was it yesterday that you guys texted me? I think it was the day before, but it might have been. I think it was yesterday. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it really was. We were like, what should we do this week? And I was like, Tanya and I have talked about this. I'm going to text her. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was it was by the seat of our pants for sure. Though we do have a pretty solid plan of what we're going to do next. So not fully by the seat of our pants. Mm-hmm. We were just vamping. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think one thing that we could do is just cover the Boy Meets World related episodes of Girl Meets World and just leave it at that because oh, there's like five. Oh, that's a good idea. Let's just do them all together. Mm-hmm. Like we'll just take like a few months off mm-hmm. until you catch up to us, and then we'll just do boy meets girl meets boy meets world fever. I love it. Girl meets world. Yes, but only cover like the episode that has Sean, the episode mm-hmm. that has Jack and Angela, the episode that has Eric, Eric and Tommy. Eric and Tommy. We'll we'll only cover those. And all of the middle stuff. We would have to end up doing the whole final season, though. Oh, do we? Because pretty much because of uh, Sean is in like the whole final season. But isn't the final season like twelve episodes because it got canceled? Or uh, none of the none of the seasons are very long, from what I remember. Okay, we'll have to look. I'm not sure. We'll have to look at how many episodes of an actual commitment that would be. Um, but it sounds a lot more pleasant than covering the episode where Riley becomes a Harajuku girl. Yeah, can we not? Oh my goodness! <laughs> or they talk about communism? Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think that's I think that's when I realized I really didn't want to do it was when everyone was circulating that clip and I was like I can't it's gonna be three hours of me just like yelling about this episode yeah yeah I was thinking about the uh the Turner episode with the new cool teacher who wants them to read Dark Knight Returns I'm like actually a freshman class probably shouldn't read Dark Knight Returns mm-hmm. without the context but Turner's not about giving grade and age appropriate reading material so what does he care um yeah i was thinking about that and i was just like i don't don't really want to cover that episode there's a lot that i don't want to cover so yeah well anyway i extended this on accident yeah i'm trying to get even longer i'm trying to get you both to bed all right (laughs) all right so from all of us here at boy meets world fever so long world so long world when this boy meets world